Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, thanking you once again. And we have got another hour talking about the things that matter most. It's our weekly look at Catholic stories around the world with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. On February 24th, a strange story here. An Italian priest uh, was celebrating Mass, and he noticed a strange smell coming from the chalice. Apparently, bleach had been poured into the liturgical vessels. He he stopped the liturgy, informed the police, and uh, again, investigation is occurring. Uh, We're going to be talking about that particular story. We're also going to take time to discuss the relic of one of the famed um, black robes. These are the Jesuits who did spectacular missionary work. And actually, many people believe that they are the ones responsible for the beginning of the academic discipline that we now call uh, cultural anthropology. Uh, the, the Jesuits were giants, and they did outstanding missionary uh, work around the Iroquois and with the Huron tribes, and so we're going to be talking about important relics um, that are that are traveling the country from them, and we will also get at this story that we touched on uh, last week, I guess it was, or it has to do with, really it's a bigger story than just the one instance we discussed, which was a, a violation of uh, Catholic uh, canons for a funeral mass. It looks as though there's a I don't know, an epidemic of attempts to disgrace uh, Catholic venues. And we're going to talk uh, about those uh, with Matthew. Uh, And I think you'll be, well, you'll be, certainly you'll be called to to prayer once you get over your uh, anger and frustration of these stories. But right now, though, let's get to today's headlines. Thank you, Al, and good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, February 29th. It's the Feast of Pope St. Hilary. And today's news is brought to you by the Ave Maria Family of Funds at AveMariaFunds.com. Their paths won't cross, but both President Biden and former President Trump are visiting the U.S.-Mexico border today. Biden will meet with Border Patrol agents and local leaders in Brownsville, Texas, while Trump is scheduled to speak in Eagle Pass, Texas. Biden is also calling for Republicans to vote to pass a bipartisan border security deal. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the West sending troops to Ukraine may lead to nuclear war. In his annual State of the Nation address, Putin said Moscow has the weaponry to hit Western targets if they send their own troops to defend Ukraine. But he said claims that Russia will attack Europe are nonsense. President Biden says negotiations are ongoing for a temporary ceasefire in Gaza, but will likely take longer than he hoped. As he was leaving for Texas today, the president told reporters it's doubtful it'll happen by Monday. The president earlier this week said a ceasefire could come by next week. 
One person has died as a result of wildfires in Texas. The Smokehouse Creek Fire has burned over 1 million acres in the Texas Panhandle and is only 3% contained. It is now the largest in the state's history. And the latest inflation report shows it rose in line with expectations last month. The Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, excluding food and energy costs, increased 0.4% in January. It rose 2.8% compared to a year ago, as predicted by economists. The report from the Consumer Department comes as the Federal Reserve is considering whether or not to start lowering interest rates. From the AveMariaRadio.net News Desk, I'm Dan McGraw. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Join me right now for our weekly look at Catholic news around the world. We've got Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of the EWTN News, also a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And you can hear Matthew regularly Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. on Register Radio. So make sure you uh, take advantage of that program. Matthew, good to have you back. Thank you. Great to be with you in a blessed land. Yes, and to you too. I am... I just heard about this case of um, um, what appears to be an attempt to poison a priest by putting bleach or something in the chalice. Is that what happened? That seems to be uh, exactly what uh, the accusation, at least, uh, that's being circulated. And uh, the specifics are that... um, this occurred uh, in Italy, uh, specifically in Calabria, so in the southern part of Italy, and involved a priest by the name of Father Felice Palamara, uh, who is a priest in a small village uh, in what's called the Vibo Valentia uh, province of Italy. So it, it's sort of out there. And he, as is often the case uh, with other priests, uh, was an opponent or has been a, a vocal critic of the various organized crime elements that are out there. Mm-hmm. There's one in particular uh, that operates in the region of Calabria called the Undrangheta. And apparently, this is, we'll have to see if the, how the investigation goes here, but apparently there was an effort to poison him, or at least to uh, make him seriously ill uh, by bleaching or putting bleach in uh, liturgical vessels the vessels that he was using for mass, in particular the chalice, and uh, he was basically forced to stop mass and take steps to report all of this to the local police. Wow. Now, we know as well that there had been uh, vandalism uh, that had been uh, inflicted upon his car, and it's in keeping uh, with the intimidation uh, that we've been hearing about for a while uh, on the part of what is basically called the Calabrian Mafia uh, against anyone who's standing in their way. This isn't uh, the first time that incidents like this have happened, uh, and I doubt it will be the last. Well, I, you can imagine <clears throat> how difficult it would be for a priest to be, you know, uh, I'm assuming he was in the middle of the liturgy and the words of institution, when he detects this bleach smell from the chalice, yes. and then 
canceled ending the liturgy at that point i mean that's that takes a lot <laughs> well there's there's another liturgy that took place recently i know we'll probably end up talking about it at some point in, in this hour at st pat's that i think a lot of people wish had been ended but uh, <laughs> yes that's a different story <laughs> different story uh in this case though yeah i mean i Clearly, there was something uh, seriously amiss, and uh, subsequent laboratory analysis did confirm that bleach uh, had been poured in, in some fashion into these the vessels that were being used for mass, and, and it forced him to take the step. Now, as I was saying, both he uh, and another priest uh, by the name of Francesco Pontoriero uh, also of the same diocese, uh, have been very outspoken in their criticism of uh, what's been going on in terms of the, the Calabrian Mafia. And they've, they've received a great deal of support, to his credit, by the, the bishop of the, this wider diocese, the, the Diocese of Tropea Meleto Nicotera, and that's uh, Bishop Attilio Nostro. And you know, the diocese has been uh, very firm uh, in supporting these priests uh, because they know what they're up against and mm -hmm. this other priest has received a number of death threats uh, and those unfortunately are increasingly common not just in italy but in other parts of the world where organized crime uh, has been running rampant i can think for example of a number of states in mexico you know venezuela and elsewhere is there any connection between that story and the story uh, of the relics of Blessed Rosario Livettino, uh, a Catholic judge who had been brutally killed by the Mafia in 1990, uh, that, in fact, uh, his relics are touring uh, Naples uh, there. And um, yeah. that's, a, that's itself an interesting story. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because... Uh... This is uh, this incident that has just taken place in Calabria, as I was just saying, is not an isolated incident, nor is it an unprecedented. Uh, we know that Naples has been plagued uh, by the presence of mafia uh, for a very, very long time. I mean, in some cases, we're going to try to track this back a number of centuries. Mm. And it has especially uh, been bad in the recent decades. And in this case, uh, a Catholic judge, as you said, Blessed Rosario Libertino, uh, who was murdered uh, by the mafia uh, and subsequently beatified uh, in Sicily uh, in 2021. So he is uh, a model. I mean, he was declared by Pope Francis uh, a martyr. And he was declared that because, as Pope Francis said, he died as the phrase is, an odium fidei, wow. which is hatred of the faith. And that is obviously a key phrase, but he, he was given the martyr of justice because mm -hmm. this is somebody as a judge who was doing what he could what were the uh, circumstances, to prosecute. What were the actual Go circumstances ahead. of his death? Yeah, uh, well, he was uh, working as a prosecutor and was trying to bring a lot of these uh, members to justice. Uh, it's the system of the mafia presence, the bribes and kickbacks and other things is called congenpopoli. And uh, he was at the time only 37 when he was serving mm. in the court. He was uh, attacked uh, near the Agrigento courthouse 
uh, a car smashed into his. Uh, it skidded off the road. He knew, of course, what was happening, jumped from uh, his car and tried to escape by fleeing into a field, uh, but he was subsequently shot, and then uh, they sprayed him with more bullets. Mm. And there's actually still a very interesting plaque on the highway uh, where he was actually killed, and then the plaque, it says, Martyr of Justice. And so um, Pope Francis, recognizing this, and, and we have seen... As I said, violence like this in the past, uh, when the church has been so outspoken uh, against what's happening. So in this case, uh, what we're seeing is uh, his relic, because he is a blessed, uh, is being taken across the Archdiocese of Naples. This is at the encouragement of uh, the Archbishop there by the name of Domenico Battaglia, uh, who himself has condemned Naples and the the bloodbath that has been taking place in recent years. So again, the violence continues. So what they're trying to do is to take the relic of Blessed Rosario into schools, into churches, but also notably into prisons, where they're hoping that uh, he can influence some of those who have been imprisoned and who've been involved in this violence and this gang violence for so long. Mm. I I. I would imagine it, it, his life story would make a good movie. Uh, not it to would, trivialize uh, it, but I just think we need no, stories no, like I, that. I, yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, he's, he's uh, absolutely a hero. And he's also something of a role model uh, for those who have been victims of the many crimes that have taken place uh, involving not just the, the Neapolitan mafia uh, that is called a cancer and everything else, but just the, the sheer violence that's been taking place in other places because of organized crime. Um, what's the follow-up on this uh, weird funeral service that took place at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York? Last I heard is the ACLU was actually getting involved, um, claiming that some injustice had been committed by the archdiocese by denying a funeral mass uh, to this um, deceased, Cecilia Gentili. Uh, strange stuff. What? Where are we with that? Uh, yes. Uh, well, uh, one thing, I think since the last time that you and I talked, uh, Cardinal Dolan has actually weighed in on this uh, on his uh, weekly podcast. Uh, and he lauded the the staff of the, the cathedral uh, for, on the one hand, trying to be welcoming, mm-hmm. uh, and on the other then, actually having what I think he would describe as the, the wherewithal and the, the forethought to quickly pivot from what was initially apparently supposed to be a funeral mass to a funeral service, yeah. which, of course, is a very, very different thing. That's right. But he also did note uh, that what happened there uh, was highly inappropriate, to say the least. Uh, But almost on cue, uh, we have a a group like the ACLU and the transgender, the very radical transgender group that apparently helped arrange uh, this funeral, held a a press conference uh, complaining uh, and, and again, this will come as no surprise to anyone that they did this. 
that they were complaining that they were mistreated, that they were entitled as though they, they rented out the space uh, for <laughs> we, we rented out the space you owe us <laughs> yes i mean basically they they felt that they had been denied the full package uh of the liturgy uh, of, the, of the mass and considered and basically described themselves as victims in this case the other curious aspect about it uh, is that we now also have um, what we might describe as contradictory statements because from the beginning when when we had the original new york times reporting the organizers of this funeral service uh, basically said that yes they were not entirely forthcoming with the staff at saint patrick's uh, and didn't really delve into the fact uh, that the deceased person was a transgender, apparently atheist activist, yeah. and used that in order to gain access to St. Patrick's. And the reasoning behind it, they said, was that this, the person who died, Cecilia Gentili, uh, was an icon to the whole transgender community. And therefore, they wanted to have a funeral service for this person in St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is also an icon for the whole community. When everything erupted that we've been following, what did they say? Well, they claimed that they were upfront about it. So we have dueling statements from the same organization. Okay. Okay. Uh, hold it there, Matthew. Take a break. We'll uh, continue the conversation. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, my guest, taking a look at stories of special interest uh, to Catholics taking place all over the globe. I'm Al Cresta. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. We just did our parish mission a couple weeks ago now, and I suggested that in the course of the mission that we do something like a, a little mini spiritual assessment of our lives. I don't have to show this to anybody but a great chance for us just to, with real honesty, just between us and Jesus, ask ourselves some questions. First question, given the fact that half of Catholics don't think God is even personal, would be to ask ourselves that. Do I think God is personal? And then to ask myself, do I think a relationship with Jesus is possible? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? And if so, what's it look like? And then perhaps a little bit more awkwardly or painfully to ask Jesus, from his perspective, what's the friendship that we have with him look like? How would he describe our friendship with him? That might be a hard conversation to have. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. St. John Paul's Theology of the Body teaches us that having healthy relationships means cooperating with God's design of our bodies. Research tells us that kids' brains can't learn and integrate new behaviors when they're stressed, upset, distracted, or scared. Have you ever felt like everything you tell your kids goes in one ear and out the other? Well, are you telling them those things when they're stressed, upset, distracted, or scared? That might be your answer. Discipleship discipline, an approach inspired by St. John Bosco, gives parents strategies to help their kids calm down first so they can learn what their parents are trying to teach them. Discipleship discipline is an important part of the liturgy of domestic church life. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. 
To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit catholiccounselors.com. Catechism in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in Scripture and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith as we journey together toward our heavenly home. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. The following program is brought to you in part by MyCatholicWill.com. Surveys show that more than half of Americans do not have a will. At MyCatholicWill.com, it takes as little as 15 minutes to write your will and secure a legacy of faith. MyCatholicWill.com is the exclusive online destination for creating a Catholic will. The process of writing a will is simple and now more accessible than ever. MyCatholicWill.com, a legacy of faith for those you love. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. We closed off last segment talking about this confrontation that occurred on February 15th at New York City St. Patrick's Cathedral. Um, a, a funeral mass had been scheduled for, unbeknownst to the uh, archdiocese, a noted transgender activist. And um, uh, the cathedral staff recognized uh, early on as the the mass got underway, that, wait a minute, um, we, we shouldn't be conducting a, the liturgy here. Uh, we will offer a funeral service. Uh, and there was a pushback from the transgender community in the ACLU. But I think the question most of us are interested in is, what are the grounds for denying uh a Catholic funeral mass. I mean, this happens regularly, I guess. Um, so, can you tell us, Matthew, what the canon law requires? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it, it, I would first encourage everyone to go to ncregister.com because uh, one of our great reporters, uh, Matt McDonald, uh, has looked into this whole issue because you're absolutely right. It's a question that was asked uh, about this particular case. Uh, now, we know that, at least according to the Archdiocese and, and initial press reporting from the statements of this group, let, let's reiterate this, they basically misled the Archdiocese. And 
Therefore, that's how they, they gained access. But the question that has been asked throughout uh, is what exactly are the parameters uh, for actually denying someone uh, a funeral, a Catholic funeral, in particular, a funeral mass. And not to steal or to bury the lead or or anything like that, but the the upshot is that those are actually now extremely rare that you would actually be denied uh, a funeral. Okay. Uh, In in part because there has been very much a shift uh, toward pastoral care, toward doing what we can uh, to be a welcoming church. Uh, Now, as we can document readily, there are a number of exceptions, certainly in the new code, uh, where it is possible to deny someone. In that case, the, the canon law is, is clear that the church can deny a funeral to someone who is, here's the key, it's canon 1184, I think, to unrepentant, notorious apostates, heretics, and schismatics. Okay those who choose cremation for reasons contrary to the Christian faith, meaning that they openly and publicly and obdurately deny the resurrection, and other manifest sinners whose funeral would cause public scandal. Now, what's important about that is that that is somewhat open to interpretation as to what we mean by scandal. Mm -hmm. So it has the important provision in there, too, that if there's doubt, the local ordinary is to be consulted, and he's the one who will make uh, the, the judgment that has, that should be followed. Okay. And then that's actually followed in the code by saying that any funeral mass must also be denied a person who is excluded from ecclesiastical funerals. In some cases, for example, if someone is ex- publicly excommunicated, that sort of thing. Now, the question that's logical to ask is, would uh, Cecilia Gentili reach any of these categories and i think that's a question more for discussion uh had the archdiocese known about this person it's my guess is that it probably would have gone forward hard to say uh, because i can't speak for the archdiocese but probably with a funeral service rather than a funeral mass yeah i i mean she remained to the end of her life uh an activist uh and it looks as though the funeral, they, they wanted the funeral to take place as a way of bringing one icon uh, in conflict with another icon. Um, there, there wasn't, didn't look as though there was a concern for pastoral care. It looked, there was, this was an attempt to create some political theater. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that was the goal here. Uh, and certainly anyone who watched the funeral itself, I be honest, I, I did watch the entire thing. Uh, it was theater. I think you're using the exact word. And it, it, you, you begin to run out of adjectives uh, in terms of the behavior that was going on yeah. uh, throughout the funeral. So it, it would certainly fall under the heading for many, many Catholics, uh, a scandalous uh, action. Now, in the past, uh, based on the 1917 code and based on other things, uh, Catholic funerals were denied uh, people probably on a much more regular basis. Um, for example, cremation uh, would disqualify it right up until 1963 okay. uh, when that was loosened up. Suicide, uh, dying in a duel, for example. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and in, in many cases in the United States, and this flows from, I think, one of the councils of Baltimore in 1884, that uh, those who are divorced and civilly remarried 
uh, could lead to the denial of, of a funeral. So we're seeing, though, uh, that the 83 code, with a much more pastoral intent, uh, eliminated the provisions regarding suicide and dueling. Suicide in particular, because as, as you and I have even talked, our understanding, we have a deeper understanding right. of what can lead to suicide. Yes, yes. No, very true. And, and, and even and even the, the, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith back in the 70s uh, listed the ban that was in place for funeral masses for what was then considered irregular matrimonial situations. So mm-hmm. there, there is this broadening of, of being allowed to have a funeral. Uh, the, the question that in our reporting that's notable, too, is that the, how many how the numbers are declining for people who are actually bothering to have funeral masses for loved ones. Mm. Well, um, one thing to point out here is that uh, in the question of suicide, this is actually a a positive example of how the social sciences have helped us reconsider our pastoral approach. Right. But it, but it's also but that's uh, because a lot of people will automatically ask that question. And then what about things like homosexuality and other things? Right. We always have to differentiate that. Sure. Sure. Right. Uh, but but exactly. And, and I think that's an important part of, of any discussion and, and why when there is a, a question about could someone be denied um, the issues of what would be appropriate are addressed and I think there is a predisposition toward allowing it. I mean, that's certainly what we're finding. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's a great point that's made in the article by a, a canon lawyer by the name of Monsignor William King, who teaches at the Catholic University of America. And that is that uh, the, oftentimes the, we've, we're losing a sense of what a funeral is for. And, and I, I would propose that the, the funeral for Cecilia Gentili is a textbook definition of this that they keep calling funerals a celebration of life, which is in many ways a confusion of what the purpose of a funeral is. And and he makes the note that it isn't a celebration of life of the individual. It's a celebration of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, very good. Without which the life of individuals has no meaning. But he he also makes a great point uh, right at the end where he says that um, we have objective circumstances which could indicate sin. And he said, but now the focus is on the individual and perhaps the recognition that the person could benefit from the grace of the mass, not seeing it as a reward for virtuous living, but as a petition for mercy. Yeah. But the, here's, here's the kicker. He says, we can't see a funeral mass as a reward for virtuous life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have many. <laughs> well, uh, let me just go to a, a popular misunderstanding. Uh, it's common um, in popular movies and novels to uh, show the hypocrisy of the church by right. uh, having funeral masses for notorious and well-known uh, figures in organized crime. Um, yes. What's what's our track record on that? We actually, uh, uh, this is one of the most interesting parts. I'm glad you talked about that because uh, there is actually a fairly long track record of denying funeral masses to mafia bosses who have been killed, in particular in violent situations, to use the, the colloquialism, who were, were killed in mob hits. Mm. Uh, for example, the Archdiocese of New York in 1979 denied a funeral 
uh, for Carmine Galante. Uh, they, they denied a funeral in 1985 for Paul Castellano. Uh, the Diocese of Brooklyn uh, in 1986 denied a funeral mass for uh, boss Frank DeChico. I mean, the list goes on and on. Two of the, probably one of the most famous uh, would have to be uh, in 2002 when the Diocese of Brooklyn denied a funeral mass for John Gotti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was not killed in a mob hit. He right. actually died uh, of cancer in, in a prison. Nevertheless, they did allow him to be buried in uh, a Catholic cemetery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's also not unheard of to send someone uh, to the graveside. Uh, of a priest there to say prayers at the gravesite. Oh, so again, there's that that potential for mercy, but again, how much scandal could it actually create? Now, it's a fair question too about why notorious or individuals who held positions that were so diametrically opposed to the teachings of the church were granted very lavish and very public funeral masses. And that's a decision that we can see being made on a pretty regular basis by uh, archbishops and bishops and, and dioceses. And, and it's hard to sort of do a blanket statement as to why you would or wouldn't be. Yeah, I this yeah this is one of those things where you they, they these are decisions that have to be made. The the final we we actually don't know many times. Uh, who receives the grace of final repentance and, and who doesn't. And so I would think uh, the church will tend to be um, err on the side of mercy. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't get too excited about this because, right. you know, it's not my, not my call. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. And, and we can all hope uh, that when our time comes that we have loved ones who have the presence of mind uh, to understand that we would want to be buried in the faith, that we would want to be sent off uh, with the rights that are appropriate to Catholics, because one thing that one of the things that we're seeing is that we have these generations now where uh, young people who have left the faith, or people who are embittered about the faith, or, mm-hmm. or whatever their circumstances, yeah. either it doesn't even occur to them, or they take their grievances against the church out uh, by making sure that their parents or grandparents don't receive the burials that they want in the church. That's right. That's right. Matthew, hold it there. We'll take a break, continue the conversation. My guest, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, our topic, well, it's our weekly look at Catholic news around the world. I'm Al Cresta. Just a Guy in the Pew podcast features Catholic man to Catholic man talk in real honest conversations from the heart, discussing the struggles, challenges, and unimaginable joy of following Christ. You can hear Just a Guy in the Pew as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. 
This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We get what we look for. St. Therese of Lisieux has an interesting insight on this. Once in a discussion over the possibility of avoiding purgatory, the future saint told another member of her community, Sister Maria Fabronia, that God was more father than judge. And in this discussion, debate, she finally took the liberty of saying to the other sister, If you look for the justice of God, you will get it. The soul will receive from God exactly what she desires. Are we full of wounds and anger and hurt, and do we want to inflict that on other people? Are we allowing God to heal us? If we receive his mercy, we have to show it to others. The Beatitudes are the heart of Jesus' message. Let's be transformed by them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Dr. Ray Garendi. There's a simple step to raising a more grateful child. I used to say, easy, eliminate half of their material possessions. I don't say that anymore. That's ridiculous. I say 75%. They don't even miss 50. 22 stuffed animals, you go down to 11. Not exactly a hardship. Simple step to raising a more grateful child. Don't be so free with the material stuff. Research has shown more generous people, by and large, have less. You give a child less, he's more willing to share it. He also is more able to occupy himself with things like boxes and dirt balls and rocks, worms, stuff that doesn't cost a whole lot of anything. Good afternoon. I'm Al Crest. I was a little off mic there. I'm sorry. But uh, I was looking, I was reaching across my my desk here to pick up an article that uh, I wasn't sure I'd 
run with it. But given we talked about this um, funeral service for this transgender activist, uh, we also learned uh, this week that the Archdiocese of New York had to um, put the kibosh on a uh, an event called Improv for Kinky People. Now, you know, by the title of it, you can imagine uh, what might be, uh, can, what's going to be going on during a, a performance of that sort. And I won't go into the details because it's pretty grotesque. But I bring it up because this was scheduled at the Sheen Center for March 4th. And I th are we going to see more of this stuff where people actually try to um, go push to for force the church to um, use the church's moral authority to approve of kinky stuff? Yeah, I, I think that's uh, uh, a question that was asked in light of the funeral of uh, Cecilia Gentili that, uh, and I predicted at the time almost immediately that uh, we would see many more efforts to have very public, very lavish, and uh, very performative funerals mm -hmm. uh, for people who hold positions radically opposed to the teachings of the Church, either weddings, uh, we know that there was one uh, in contravention, contradiction of, of Church teaching and fiducia supplicans in Spain. I know we can talk about that briefly. But this, I think, is uh, something that would flow from that quite logically. But yes, I think they're going to try to book space uh, or to rent space or to somehow use space uh, that's owned by the Church in order to make these very public, and I'll use that word again, performative statements uh, about their agendas. And this one is um, particularly unpleasant uh, because of what's being what was proposed here. Yeah. And I, one thing that jumps out at this is how did it? And, and this goes back to the question about St. Patrick's. How did it get so far uh, where an event actually had to be canceled rather than they were simply told the moment that the proposal was put forward? Uh, what were the circumstances? Did this group lie to them as to what was actually going to yeah. happen at the Sheen Center? What were the circumstances? Because I think that what we're seeing now is that every diocese, every parish is going to have to be hyper vigilant when people come to you and say, we'd love to use your space for our dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And it turns out uh, that this is a group that uses words in the same sentence of bedroom or dungeon. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this was uh, apparently to take place at the Sheen Center. Uh, I I I can't help but think that this was intended to create scandal. Um, I'm glad they caught it, but I agree with you. How did the, who who shepherded it through the process uh, as far as it went? Yeah. Right. I mean, it, but it's also connected. I would argue to what we're seeing on a very regular basis uh, on Catholic campuses colleges and universities. Uh, I can think recently of uh, some of the uh, egregious things that were being put forward, like at the University of Notre Dame, uh, at, the Cat at the University of America, I believe uh, one of the professors invited an abortion doula uh, to speak, and that was 
to the great credit of Catholic University, uh, to their great credit, they that was stopped immediately. Okay. And yeah, steps were taken. And I think that's the statement that people are waiting to see uh, come out of some of these events. And, and I think the way that, for example, the Archdiocese of Madrid uh, responded to what was this private civil marriage last weekend. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and we chapel. didn't, yeah, we didn't go into the details there. Go ahead and tell, for listeners yeah. who are unfamiliar with it, set, set this up. This is yeah. very frustrating. Go ahead. Well, yes, it is. Uh, so essentially, um, there was a, a private Catholic chapel where two Spanish men celebrated a civil marriage. And all of this happened. Uh, it's called the Holy Trinity Chapel. It's located on the grounds of what's called the Finca El Campillo, which is it's generally used as uh, a wedding venue in the town of El Escorial, but it's run by the church. So uh, the pastor of the nearby parish in El Escorial uh, had no idea, apparently, that this had been allowed or this had taken place. And the statements almost immediately from the archdiocese, I think, were very helpful because the, the pastor himself um, was making the point that it, none of this took place with his permission. So it always raises the question, okay, who knew and gave that permission yeah. for this to have happened? Yeah. And you can find on social media, I don't recommend it, but you can find on social media quite readily uh, a lot of video and, and photos of this ceremony, and it took place in uh, the middle of this chapel in front of an image of uh, the Virgin of Hakuna. You can see it. Uh, at one point, the two men knelt on white kneelers in front of the statue, and notably, and this is where it gets especially frustrating to use your word, the men were draped in white cloth with blue stripes uh, that is very reminiscent of the Mozarabic liturgy, which is fairly unique uh, to Spain. And in this case, the wife uh, and the, the, the wife's head and the husband's shoulders are covered. And so they basically just duplicated uh, this Mozarabic rite, this element of that. Wow. And you, so this was posted. Again, I have to say that to that the credit of the archdiocese, uh, they reiterated that they that Chapels like this cannot be used for commercial purposes or as places of civil celebrations. And the strength of the statement to me is particularly interesting because of the Archbishop of Madrid, who is uh, Cardinal Jose Copocano, who was named a cardinal just last year uh, by Pope Francis. He's considered a Pope Francis cardinal, mm -hmm. with all of that implies, at least in terms of progressive media. Sure. Uh, and he is also an expert in Catholic social teaching. So this, to come out like this is also, I think, an awareness on the part of certainly church authorities in Europe of the potential ramifications and, again, misuse of fiducia supplicans. Okay. Did they make an explicit coming. appeal to that? No, but it's, it's clear that uh, by reiterating uh, that... Family chapels can only be used for the purpose that the church grants them. Uh, it, it's very clear that there is a concern about authorities being informed or consulted when these types of events take place, because 
there is this effort. We were just talking about people trying to use venues like the Sheen Center. There will be an effort to manipulate the Ducha Super Accounts. Let me, let me go to a, another story here. Uh, again, heart-moving story. Uh, actor Gary Sinise paying tribute to a son who died. Uh, apparently, uh, this uh, young man had a, a vibrant uh, Catholic faith. What can you tell me? Yeah, uh, this has uh, been, uh, it's a beautiful story uh, that uh, Gary Sinise's son, uh, McKenna Anthony Sinise, he uh, died at the age of, I think, 33 and had been, uh, he used the, the traditional phrase, battling or fighting for five and a half years mm. with a very rare spinal cancer, oh. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. Uh, and... The diagnosis came around the same time, I believe, that uh, Gary Sinise's wife, uh, Moira, uh, was also diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. Mm. So this was uh, a terrible time for the family. And Sinise has talked very much about how his Catholic faith, he's a convert, uh, really gave him the strength to get through all of this. And I, I want to read, if I can, just a, a small statement that he made. Yeah, please. Uh, that he wrote, his son was called Mac, and he, Gary wrote that Mac was a man who loved his Catholic faith, and there's no doubt that his strong faith sustained him to the awful five-and-a-half-year battle uh, with his crippling cordoma cancer. And he said, like any family experiencing such a loss, we are hope, heartbroken. But he added then that the really terrible part as parents it is so difficult losing a child yeah 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 it's uh yeah it's whenever you hear stories of this sort obviously (laughs) your mind goes to um what it would be like and uh it's an experience i hope i never have to face but uh, yeah i'm I'm glad to know this is a very rare answer yeah yeah but great grace was there and that's encouraging You're absolutely right. And so there's a a Gary Finney's foundation, I know, that does a tremendous amount of uh, work in the United States and I think around the world. And um, so it's a loss, but at the same time, it's the demonstration of how we can face loss and how terrible suffering like that is given meaning by faith. Uh, Let me go to a story here that I, I did not come across until today, and that is um, that the skull of St. Jean de Brebeuf, I don't know exactly how to pronounce this name, uh, is now making its way across the United States. Tell me what this is about. Yeah, uh, well, we have been blessed, it seems to me, over the last few years by having some great relics that have made their way across the United States. I think uh, the relics of Therese of Lisieux, yep, I know because a big I saw one. them myself. Uh, we recently had St. Jude, uh, who uh, has been making, the relic has been making its way around the United States. So if, if it comes anywhere near you in your diocese, it's a Tremendous experience. I think also the the relics of John Vianney at one point were here in Washington, D.C. for a while. And in this case, uh, the Father Jean de Brebeuf, who is one of the most famous of the black robes, uh, who was martyred by the Iroquois uh, in the middle of the 17th century, uh, he is still well known. Uh, You know, one 
quick thing about the black robes, the Jesuits who were sent into the wilderness of the New World. We have this image of these grizzled, barely educated missionaries going out. <laughs> no, the, 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 the Jesuits sent the best and the brightest they had. Absolutely. Because that's how much they loved and wanted to bring Christ to the indigenous, to the native peoples of North America. Yeah, this the, is, you weren't getting the cast off. This is when Jesuits were giants. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and he was. And so in this case, the tour uh, of his skull uh, has been slowly progressing across the United States. I think it began uh, earlier this month in Colorado. And I think it's... Uh, will end in New York City on March 6th. And some of the other relics include uh, that of uh, Gabriel Alamont and uh, Charles Garnier. So again, these great martyrs. And it's just an opportunity to be connected directly uh, with these saints and to take that moment and appreciate what they gave and how much they're still giving to us today. Very good. Matthew, uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. Uh, it's always shorter than I like, but thank you for being with me. It's a privilege to be with you. We'll really talk soon, Lord willing. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, uh, we'll have many of the stories we discussed. In fact, all the stories we discussed. Uh, we'll have follow-up information for you in the Crest to Guest archives at AveMariaRadio.net. When we refer to our Father who art in heaven... Are we talking to a God who is far removed from us? On the contrary, says the Catholic Catechism, we are talking to a Father who is close to humble and contrite hearts. We assert that God is in the hearts of the just as he is in his holy temple. He is in heaven, his dwelling place. The Father's house is our homeland. Sin has exiled us. But conversion of heart enables us to return to the Father, to heaven. Christians are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They spend their lives on earth, but are citizens of heaven. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. So many people call themselves Christian, call themselves Catholic, call themselves Evangelical, whatever, and they're nothing more than members of the Church of what's happening now, as Flip Wilson used to say. You want direction, you want guidance, go to the source. Go to Jesus, go to Scripture, go to the Church teachings. Not to Whoopi Goldberg, not to, and we pray for her, but Nancy Pelosi's version of Catholicism or Joe Biden's version of Catholicism or any other politician that holds fast to their quote-unquote Catholic faith, yet consistently, consistently and blatantly not just speaks against the church, but acts against the church. We need to pray for these people, and we need to encourage bishops to stand up for the truth and not be afraid. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I missed the opportunity to mention earlier a wonderful program from EWTN, Lenten Reflections. It's a series that's airing every weekend, obviously preparing us for Holy Week. And um, 
This week, we've got Father Benedict Keeley of the Basilica of Our Lady of Walsingham in England, reflecting on the meaning of truth. You know, as Pope Benedict XVI said, we are to, quote, live, speak, and do the truth, and to reject lies that poison humanity and are the door to all kinds of evils. So catch this program Mondays, uh, 6 Eastern, Sunday evening, uh, 1130, that's Eastern again, on EWTN Radio. It's EWTN's Lenten Reflections. Take advantage of the great programming available 24-7. Let me thank you for being with me today, and let me urge you to follow up on any of our conversations by going to AveMariaRadio.net. We'll have follow-up information there. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.